Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. Today's message was recorded live at the 2019 Paramount Harvesters Conference in Carson, California. This year's theme was Bridge. Pastor Omar's heart for this year's conference was centered around bridging the divide between generations, that the message of Jesus would be passed on from one generation to the next. We hope you enjoy this message. What an introduction. I so appreciate our pastors, uh, Pastor Omar, Sister Letty. We go way back. And, uh, you know, I can go on and on and share about the impact you guys have made in our lives. But I think you can see the fruit, just like Pastor Marcel talked about last night, the impact that's been made through this couple's life. How many love our pastors, Pastor Omar and Letty? Come on. Love them. I, I just want to. I want to give a uh, quick shout out to my family, my wife. We just celebrated 28 years last Saturday, man. Married 28 years. Uh, God, man, what a journey. It's been an incredible journey, but God has been with us every step of the way. My kids, you know, one of the things, and I, I do want to honor my children. Of course, I'm a grandfather now. I got grandkids. I'm getting old. <laughs> but uh, 16 years, a long time ago, man, a long time ago. But one of the things that... Um, I was thinking about that when we went out to pastor, I realized this, that the shots I took, the battles I engaged in, uh, trying to take territory for the kingdom and serving the Lord, my family took those battles with me. They, they took the shots with me. Can I get a witness? Uh, and they experienced a lot of the things that I went through, and I just want to honor them. And I thank God for my kids and my grandkids and all that. I'll clap for them. You know, I'll clap. I appreciate my children. My church, Resonate Church. Come on, I love my church. I love my church. I mean, I, I don't. I want to sound like I'm getting an Oscar up here, man. I, I you know, I want to. I just want to give some props here to the people that I love and respect, and then, of course, this fellowship. Uh, this fellowship is we have the best fellowship in Praise Chapel. Come on, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> hey, you can quote me on that, right? So one of the things about getting older is, is and I mentioned a few minutes ago about being a grandfather and uh, I love my grandkids I was going to put a picture up but you guys see them all over Instagram already uh, I, I, yeah some of you guys are like that's enough right but I love my grandkids uh, one of the things too my, my oldest grandson Hezekiah and, and Troy uh, they, they like to do the building of the Lego blocks anybody like those big Lego have you seen those big Lego blocks and they like to build and Troy likes to sit down he likes to build and put these pieces on and uh, he'll say, Papa, you know, let's let's build something. Or when Kai, he's a little older now, but when he before, he would like to do the same thing. And and we would sit down and start building, you know, for my grandson Troy, it was about building like a house for his dinosaurs. So as he's putting the blocks on, he's making dinosaur noises and he's trying to get in the mood of, of creating this atmosphere of his dinosaurs. And as I sat down and I would I'd play with him and put those blocks on, and I don't know if it's the attention span or they just get bored. But as I'm putting on the block, he's taking one off, right? So it, it's almost like it's counterproductive. I'm putting a block on, he's taking one off. Same thing as a kayak. It's like they get bored right away, so we got to do something new. And I started to think about that and the concept that we're talking about here in this conference because the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, we all want to make progress in life. 
right? We all want to be a, a, a people that we're not wasting time and, and what we're doing that we're seeing some impact made and, you know, whatever it may be that we're making some progress in life and, and we're not staying stuck in one spot, but that somewhere down the line, we've either grown or we've developed in a certain way, you know, whatever it may be, we want to make some form of progress. For example, every pastor that goes out of this conference wants to have a mega church. Only two, huh? Come on, man, be honest. When you go out, you see yourself as the next T.D. Jakes, right? And then you get out there and you realize a whole different ballgame. But in your mind, it's like we want progress. We want to see something happen in life. We don't want to stay at the same spot. And I'm thinking about this and the concept of these Lego blocks. Stay with me. Because in life... It operates a lot like those Lego blocks. We're putting a piece at a time to make progress. For example, maybe you want to get out of financial debt. So it's paying off one bill at a time, right? Saving a little bit of money at a time. Or maybe it's family or ministry. You're starting a new project. You're starting a new ministry. It's all about trying to progress. Maybe education. You're going to school. You're studying. You're, you're taking those finals and exams. Whatever it may be, you're trying to make progress. But one thing takes place during this process. Life. <laughs> somebody say life. And somebody say people. <laughs> in the journey, and I'm going somewhere, in the journey to make progress in life, which we all agree we all want to do, you cannot count on life and people at times because they're so unpredictable. Can I get an Amen. Because in life, it's so unpredictable, progress can seem more like a tug of war. Now stay with me. It's almost like you're, making, you're taking two steps forward at times only to take one step back. Because life can catch us off guard at times. So we're trying our best, right? We're doing the right things. And, you know, we're trying to make progress and move forward. And all of a sudden we get hit by something in life that caught, catches us off guard. Or people turn on you or turn on us and, and all of a sudden the things that we thought that we, we had so dialed in and so secure, all of a sudden our world has been flipped upside down. You ever been there before? Some hit you out of unexpectedly, some tragic event hits, something happens you never counted on and you think to yourself, man, that was not in the five-year plan. The breakdown from that point is this, when that happens, most people, if you are normal, intend to pull back. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm done. I don't want to try anymore. You know, I've been burned too many times. I've been hurt too many times. I've been let down too many times. I've invested. I've been parted in these people. I've given my all. I've sown. I've invested all I could, my time, my energy, my resources, only to be let down in the end. Anybody ever been there before? And so the natural inclination is to pull back, step away, and say, let somebody else do it. And I realized this in my life. In order to reach the next generation, you have to be in close proximity. Pastor Caleb talked about that on Monday night. You have to be in close proximity to let down or release or give off the mantle, the anointing in their lives. You cannot do it from a distance. 
So it takes spending time and building relationships. So stay with me. I have had to come to the conclusion in my life that in spite of all the disappointments I've experienced, besides all the setbacks and all the things that I faced in my life and the things that I wish did not happen, but I had no control over the pain and all of that stuff, I realized this, I still have a responsibility to impart into the next generation. That has not left me. No matter how much it stings, no matter how difficult it may be, that responsibility, God has still laid that upon me. And it's still upon you. The generation beneath, whether you're the baby boomers to the generation X to the millennials to generation Z, doesn't matter. Every generation down is depending and counting on you to impart into them. And for that to happen, and I believe for, for us to bypass and to cross over and to get past the setbacks and the disappointments, we have to understand that the right circumstance may never come. When, you know, you ever think about people that say, we want to get married, we're just waiting for the right time. Forget that. That's never going to happen. <laughs> just get married. <laughs> I'm waiting for the right moment. Good luck with that. <laughs> I think rather than say, wait for the right circumstance and the right moment to begin to impart, I think having the right attitude about life and people is the way we should be. So what's the right attitude then, Pastor? Let me give it to you tonight. The attitude of honor. Everybody say honor. I want to talk about honor tonight. You ready? You ready for this? I want to lay, is this, is this me? I keep hitting this. Is it keep shaking? All right. I'm sorry. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing what? Honor. Anybody doing that lately? You outshowing your brother and sister in honor. You out, outdoing those around you in honor. It is very difficult in this day and age because this day and age is so narcissistic in its approach to life. It is all about a me-driven society, a me-driven culture, right? I got a few people that agree with me. It's just like you take that picture and you know that picture could be amazing. The background, beautiful. The color, the tint, amazing. Right? The right setting. But if you don't look good, the picture sucks, man. It's just terrible. Delete it. Delete it. I got checked one time by AC Green. We were at an event, me and my daughter. And AC Green was there. It's like, AC, let me get a, let's get a picture. He's like, yeah, let's get a picture. So I use my daughter's phone. She terrible remembers this. And so AC Green is like, I don't know, six, 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 seven, whatever he is. So we're taking the picture. So it's me, AC, AC Green, and my daughter. So they take the picture. And as soon as the person that took the picture was done, I grabbed my daughter's phone and I, I looked at it. And AC goes, hey, man, what are you doing? That's your daughter's phone. I mean, he put me in check. He goes, let her at least see it. I'm like, I'm like chill out, AC. <laughs> Don't let me call Michael up in here now. All right. Listen, church, there is so much power, so much anointing, so much grace when we show honor. We are called everyone in this house Everyone here tonight, if you can hear my voice, we have all been called by God to show honor. 
I don't care what position you hold in life. I don't care what role you carry, pastor, leader, husband, wife, son, daughter. It doesn't matter. We have all been ordained and called by God to be people of honor. 1 Peter 2.17 says this, honor everyone. Everybody say everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Peter was serious about this. He said, listen, first honor God. Honor everyone. It is so important. Honor those in authority. You don't have to like them. Just honor them. I know I'm going to make some people mad right now when I say this. You may not like our president. And I'm not going to get into all the political stuff. But we are called to honor and pray for him, right? Anybody in authority, we're called to honor and respect and pray for, right? Is what we are called to do, to continue to lead a lifestyle of honor and prayer. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on here, and I want to look at some scriptures here in a moment. Before I do, I, I just want to say this. I believe the key to laying down to the next generation a bridge, it's got to be done with honor, church. It's got to be done with honor. Okay, say, so what is, Pastor, what is honor? What do you mean by that? Let me give you the, the definition of honor. The Greek word for honor is to me, which means highly valuable or something that is weighty. Now, today in the reference, we use honor more as a respect, right? We show people respect. When you honor someone, you give them respect. You show them respect. If you were to give the word honor to someone that was Greek, they would think you are showing something that is valuable, something that's very special, and, and something that holds a lot of weight to it. So to dishonor somebody, it would mean to treat them as ordinary or just common. That is the opposite of something that is valuable, right? The opposite of something that is valuable is something that's just common or something that has become familiar. Let me say this. I, don't, I believe one of the biggest threats to the church today is not, the pers is not persecution. It's not persecution. I don't believe it's resources. Can I tell you what I believe the biggest threat to the church is today? Familiarity. Something that was so valuable to us at one time. Our salvation, you guys remember where you came from? Anybody remember what God brought you out of? Come on, anybody remember what God delivered you from? I know, I know you look great today, but you didn't always look like this. I know you smell good today, but you didn't always smell like this. Do you remember where you came from? And I believe the biggest threat to the church is people that we know what God has brought us out of, what God has done in our lives, what God has navigated us through and how he's delivered us and set us free and given us a new path, a new life. And then we take that which is so valuable, the son of God dying for our sins and make it just common, make it just ordinary. Just another Sunday, just another conference. Make it so common. And all of a sudden, it's not special anymore. Are you guys still with me? Honor. Everybody say honor. It means to hold in high value. That's what it means. So then why then do we lead in honor? Let me give you a couple things. So that's the what. Let me give you the why. Why do we lead in honor? Let me tell you why. We honor because it says I value what, of what God says or what God values. I honor because I, it says I value what God values. He gave his son for us. 
He gave his life for us. So when we treat others honorably, what we're saying is, God, I value the things that you value. What is important to you is important to me. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 13. Look at this. Don't just pretend to love others. Paul writes, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and delight in honoring each other. Honor must become a way of life for the church. It has to become a way that we live our lives. To honor someone, listen, is to value them highly and bestow value upon them. How valuable are you to God? A few years back, myself and a number of pastors went up to Cincinnati and we spent some time with a pastor named Marcus Meekum up there at uh, Seven Hills Church. And I mean, it's a mega church. And, you know, just the fact that he took the time out to sit with some of the pastors that were there and, and just kind of talk with us and share with us. He spent the whole week with us. And he brought us into one of his staff meetings. And uh, as we were there, he was kind of giving the breakdown of how they do their ministries and things like that. And he made a comment that I never forgot. And, and he said this, and when he said this, it just resonated with me, and I held on to it. I've, I've shared it with my leaders. I've been part of that to our, our team. And he said this. He says, when it comes to the work area, the workforce in our church, we are fast with task, but we are slow with people. And, and I, when, he, when he first said it, he just said it so nonchalant, just kind of just threw it out there. But then I started to think about that and process that. And I realized what he was saying was the task is important. The work is important, but people are more important. What is valuable to God, the work is fine. You got to do the work, get to work, get busy, do what you're asked to do. You have responsibilities, get it done. But when it comes to people, we slow down because this is what's valuable to God. And when you give time to people, you are showing honor to people. We, you know, we just came back out of Elevate Conference and past, you know, 20 years, we do it elevating. I've ministered a number of times at Elevate Conference and every once in a while, there'll be a teen that comes up to me and says, hey, Pastor Mondo, that was a great sermon you preached 10 years ago. And he'll start telling me the sermon, right? And in my head, I'm thinking, I don't remember the sermon. But he's telling it to me and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, Man, it does sound pretty powerful though, man. That sounds like a great sermon. Uh, but in my head, I just, okay, it's a great, great sermon. But I think what's more important in that moment is giving them my attention. Letting them know that, listen, you are valuable enough for me to sit here and listen to what you have to say. You're not celebrities. <laughs> come on, look at your neighbor and say, you're not a celebrity. Tell them, come on. You're not a celebrity. No celebrities here. Come on, I know everybody wants to be a celebrity and Instagram famous. I get it, man. I get it. You're not a celebrity. Take time and talk to people. <laughs> Come on. Because people matter. They're valuable to God. And when we display that, we are saying, God, what is valuable to you is valuable to me. When was the last time you honored your spouse? Just told her or him, I love you. Show honor, show respect. You know, I gotta, I gotta say this. I wanna thank the teams here that are putting this conference on. Can we give a hand to the teams? We wanna honor them. How about the workers? Need a towel. When's the last time 
You, you walked into the Sunday school ministry of your church and thanked the workers for watching our kids, your kids. When's the last time you've displayed that, that heart of honor for God's people and people in general? So why do we show honor? Because we display or we value what God values. The second reason why we honor, because listen, it has generational impact. Everybody say that, generational impact. So let me, let me touch on this for a moment. I think one of the, um, one of the toughest things, and, and we can all fall into this, we can all fall into this trap because we go to church every Sunday. We're involved in whatever ministry we're in. We hear the same preacher, our pastor, every Sunday. We see the same people every week. And it becomes, it becomes so easy, listen, to get familiar with it. And then we lose the sense of value for what we really have. And I believe that happens a lot in churches. And if we're honest, it's happened to you or us at one point in our lives. Where now church has just become very ordinary. Very common. I already know what's going to happen. We're going to go to church. We're going to do worship. We're going to sing four songs. Then we're going to do a, a greet. And then we're going to do a devotional. And then we're going to take the offering. And then after that, pastor get up and preach. We're going to do an altar call. We're hoping people get saved, right? And after that, we're going to have some coffee and donuts. And, and we just, in our mind, it's become ordinary. It's become common. When that happens, listen, it is very easy to become very cynical and very critical of what God is doing in the church. All of a sudden, the guy, the pastor, the leader who imparted into your life, who spoke into your life, who gave you favor, who opened opportunities for you, all of a sudden, they're not so special anymore. Are you with me? What happened? All of a sudden, the service that you used to love going to, love being in the house and worshiping, love coming together and congregating and fellowshiping, all of a sudden, it's just that not that special anymore. You know what's happened? It's become familiar. The value, you've brought the value down. It's become common now, and that's a dangerous place to be because the minute you take something that is valuable and make it common, all of a sudden, you just kind of throw it away. Look at 2 Samuel chapter, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Now watch this. He says, I will honor those who honor me, but I will despise those who think lightly of me. Now, just reading this at face value, you would think to yourself, kind of what's, that's a powerful scripture, but what's the story behind it? This is a very sobering story. The Lord is telling Eli the priest, now listen, because you have taken the ministry that I have given to you. Now, if we know the story of what's happened, uh, Eli's sons, the two priests, were in the temple and they were stealing from the offering basket. And they were also sleeping with the woman at the temple. So they were fornicating, they were stealing, they were dishonoring the house of the Lord, and Eli, their dad, did nothing about it. He says, hey guys, I've been hearing some stories, you know, all these, I'm getting some bad reports. Uh, can you guys kind of stop, you know? And they didn't stop. And the Lord comes to Samuel and says, or the Lord comes and he gives this word to the, the priest Eli. And he says, because you have made the ministry I've given you common, because you did not honor me, I'm stripping it from you. I'm taking it from you now. And not only am I taking it from you, I'm taking it from your kids and from your whole line. 
As a matter of fact, on the same day, your two sons are going to die. I mean, the judgment came down hard, came down strict, came down. And, and, and I started to think about that. And then he says this. He says, listen, and if anyone does survive and I allow anyone to live, it will only be because they, I want them to see the blessings I have on Israel. They'll never touch it. They'll never experience it. But I want them to see it. I mean, that is a strict judgment. That is a harsh judgment. Why? Simply because the priest took something that was valuable and made it ordinary, made it common. How often do we do that, church? Listen to me. God has saved you with such a high price. He has given his son for each and every one in this house. He gave his son for, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. He, you are held at such a high value in God's eyes. And not only that, the giftings he's deposited in your life, the talents he has entrusted to you, the favor. You know that wife you have today? God gave you that wife. Come on, if you guys are like, yeah, others are like, man, why'd you do that, Lord? <laughs> those kids, God gave you those kids. that job the Lord has deposited he has invested in you God forbid we make it common God forbid we show up to church on Sunday and just say oh it's just another Sunday come on man let's keep the fire burning in the hearts man come on man that I would love God just as much as I love him now even when I die that, that in my, those last moments of my life, that I would still be just as passionate over the Lord than I am right now. So we looked at what is the right attitude. The attitude is honor. I think honor goes so far. Honor can be generational. Why do we honor? Because it says, I value what God values. We honor because, listen, it has generational impact. Had, had Eli honor God by disciplining his sons, and by taking that statement or that stand and, and making that statement, it would have ended differently. So then, okay, pastor, then how do I do that? How do I put it into practice? I'm gonna give you a couple things. Is that all right? And then we'll close tonight. Talked about the what, the why. Let me give you the how. How do we go about practice? Because listen, it matters that we honor God in our lives. It matters to God that we show honor. It matters. And I wanna talk about a guy tonight whose name's David, who exemplifies that. Now, when you think of King David, Usually the things that come to mind about King David, he was a warrior, right? Defeated Goliath. He was a worshiper. He was a, a man after God's heart. Number of these things that come to play, because when we think of David, we think this is a guy who, who really God favored, man. There was an anointing on his life. But if you look closely at David's life, you will see this common thread that kind of is woven through the, the, the DNA of his life, and it was honor, it was honor. David showed honor to his father by tending his sheep and helping with the family business. You remember when his brothers were out to war and, and his dad said, listen, I need you to take some food to your brothers out in the battlefield. So David, before he goes, he goes back home and he makes sure that the sheep are taken care of. And then he heads out to the battlefield to give his brothers some food. So not only is he showing honor to the brothers that despised him, he's making sure the family is taken care of. And then we know, of course, his, his commitment to King Saul, who was just out of his mind, who he played worship for even after twice Saul tried to assassinate him. 
We know the story, even in the cave of En Gedi, when, when David was in the cave and David Saul came in to, to relieve himself. And the Bible says that David's men told, told David, listen, Saul's here. You don't have to run anymore. Kill him. As a matter of fact, they told David this, God has delivered him to you. Ever heard that before? People use God to get their way. No, I'm just kidding. But God... They really just didn't want to live in the cave anymore. But they said, listen, let's get David to do this. We'll tell him God. He, he loves God. He honors God. We'll tell him God gave him to it. So he says, hey, listen, God has presented Saul for you. Now you can kill him and we can get on with our lives. And so what does David do? He, he goes and I think he kind of he felt under the pressure of having to do something because his men were pressuring him. And he went and he cut off just the tip of Saul's garment. And the Bible says that as soon as he did that, that, that guilt overcame him. His conscience was just overwhelmed because of what he did. This was a man that had such a standard of honor that even just cutting the tip of a garment of the king caused him to feel overwhelmed and guilt. And I got to tell you today, how many of us feel that way when we take a shot at those that are above us? Right? This is just a tip of, some of us can slander our pastor, slander our leaders, slander those that are over us and not think twice. David cut a little piece of garment. He felt so overwhelmed because he was a man of honor. Can I get an amen? My point is this, is that David built his life around developing this way of honor about him. So think about this concept. David lived to be 70 years old. With the exception of those two years when he fell with Bathsheba and had the thing with Uriah, David maintained his heart before the Lord. I love the, the word Pastor Caleb used. He, his posture, his heart was, was yielded before God. It was always there. Someone in my church said this one time I thought was so profound. He said, David had a New Testament relationship with God in the Old Testament. He had a love for God. He had an intimacy with God that wasn't really found as much as in the Old Testament as we see in the New. He had that in the Old Testament. He was a man after God's heart. He had a heart of honor, a heart of character. So let's move forward here. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 6 to 10. Are you guys still with me tonight? You guys still with me? All right. I'm, I'm driving this so important, church, because God will bless your life if you live a life of honor. He will bless your life. Verse number 6. Then David sent out his son Solomon and instructed him to build a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. My son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, David told him. But the Lord said to me, you have killed many men in battle and all the battles you have fought. And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build the temple to honor my name. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace. And I will give him peace with his enemies in all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. And he is the one who is going to build the temple to honor my name. He will be my son. I will be his father. And I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Isn't that powerful? Now, in case you don't know the story he's referring to here, this happened before, the years back. Now, this is kind of the latter part of David's life, but in the earlier part of his life, when he first stepped into the kingship role, he had just brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel, and, and he's there, and he's sitting in his house, and he's looking at the place he's living in. I mean, he's got the, the, the reclining chair. He's got the movie theater in his room. He's got the plasma on the wall. He's got the surrounds. I mean, he's just living it up, right? He's watching the game on TV, 
He's watching the Raiders play. No, I better stop there, man. It's coming up. I'm sorry. I got to talk football here. That's, you know, I'm a little disappointed. I, our, our, uh, our PC uh, harvest page, they said, take this. You see that where they said, take this little snapshot and then you, you, you put the little picture inside and then they're going to repost it. I did that and they didn't repost mine. <laughs> and I started to think maybe because I put a Raider, Raider uh, football player in there. And, anyways, I don't, think, I don't think whoever's running the page is a Raider fan. All right, let's. <laughs> so, so now stay with me. So he's referring to this story. Now watch this. And he says, God, God tells him, so he's all excited. He says, I want to build this house for the Lord. And, and so the prophet Nathan comes in and tells him, what's going on? David, David says, I want to build a house for the Lord. Look where I'm living. Look where the, the Ark of the Covenant is. It's in the tent. I want to do something special for God. Nathan says, man, by all means, David, go for it. Come on, you've been winning victory after victory. God's favor's on you. Go for it. Just do it. But that night when Nathan goes back, the Lord speaks to Nathan in a dream and tells him, listen, I am so honored this by the suggestion of David. No one has ever offered to do what David is offering. And God, you can read it for the sake of time. We won't read it. He, God just starts to spill out all these blessings because of the gesture of wanting to honor God. And so he begins to speak, but he says this, Nathan, tell David, though, he can't build it. His hands are too bloody, but his son will build it. So when you think of the how, let me just say this. The how has to start in me first. Everybody say me first. If there's anywhere you want to put me, it's right here. Honor has to start with you first. Has to start with me first. How many know that sometimes what we say and what's really in our heart don't line up? Come on. You, you can say something and your heart be far from that truth. You'd be like, hey, girl, that hair is beautiful. Honey, look at that dress. That dress is, oh, I look so good on you. And in your heart, you begin to say, I hate this girl, man. This woman gets on my nerves in your heart. But with your words, can I get an <laughs> Come on, man. Like, what's up, man? I haven't seen you in years. Good to see you. And then your heart like, man, what this, what's he doing here, right? What's he doing here? <laughs> Because sometimes where our words don't line up with what's in our really in our heart, but God knows what's in the heart. God knows what you're really thinking. God knows what you're really feeling. God knows what's really going on on the inside. You can hide it from everybody. You can't hide it from God. Come on, you can act like you care, but God knows if you really care. You can act like you're paying your tithes, but there's nothing in there, right? You can act like you're writing something out and really you're just putting notes. And then no one's looking, you just kind of fold up, stick in your back pocket, you know? <laughs> God knows what's in the heart. True honor begins in the heart. Matthew 15, 8 and 9, look at this. Jesus said this, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines, or teaching as the doctrines of the commandments of men. This tells me that genuine honor comes from the heart. He's dealing with the religious people, saying religious people, they, they want to say the right things, act a certain way, dress a certain way, but the heart is corrupt. You know that 
in the towns, his own hometown that Jesus went into that he came to brew miracles and, and touch people's lives. But the Bible says because of the lack of honor, he couldn't do miracles there. They're like, who? Isn't this like the carpenter's son? Isn't, don't we know his brothers and sisters? I mean, really, we, grow, we know who he is. How did, how did he learn all this stuff? And the Bible says because of a lack of honor, he didn't do any miracles there. He couldn't do anything. Look what he says here in Matthew chapter 13. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his, and his, and his household and in his own household. He's basically saying in his own hometown, there's no love. Which tells me this, that if we're going to pass down, listen, the bridge to the next generation, we got to lead the way with honor. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to honor. Come on, tell them. It's time to honor. First Chronicles 22, 7. Now, now watch what David is saying here, all right? It starts in me first. Remember that. Has to be in my heart first. My son, he tells Solomon, I wanted to build the temple to honor the name of the Lord my God. Says, I wanted to do it. He's telling his son, but he says, because I shed too much blood, I couldn't do it. You're going to do it. Now, if you get, to re- get a chance to read it, you can read what God says about the blessings upon David's life. But it was in his heart. Now, let me just stop with this for a moment. He technically didn't build it. He did support it. He funded it. He helped navigate through the process of building it. But he physically didn't build it. But because it was in his heart to do it, listen, you got to get this. It was in his heart to do it. God blessed him. How many in your lives, you, you want to do something so bad. You had a, you had a dream. You, you, you had something that you wanted to accomplish and you, you didn't get to do it for whatever reason. I believe that if it was to honor God, even if you didn't get that opportunity, God will still bless you for it. Listen, because it's in your heart, right? David, David did not get to do it but because it was in his heart to do it. He didn't lift a finger to do it, but because it was in his heart, God blessed him. David had cultivated such a lifestyle of honor and God blessed him for it. That tells me that the dream to do it started way back in the beginning from just a simple, I wanna honor God. God has dreams that he wants to do in your life. God has given you vision. God has given you things that he wants to accomplish through your life. But I will tell you this, if honor is not a factor, it won't come to pass. And I, I believe this, that when honor is the central point of our lives and saying, God, I am doing this because I want to honor you. I am doing this because I want you to get the glory. I don't want the glory. I want you to get the glory, God. God will begin to position things in your life to make it happen. So if we want the next generation to be blessed, and we want to see God's favor on their lives, then we have to bridge the gap with honor. We have to set the pace, and it has to start in us first. I was so blessed tonight to see my son up here. Did he do a great job, Pastor Elijah? I, I look at that, man. He's better looking. than I mean, he's like, he's got it all now, right? His family, and, uh, and I'll tell you what, I'm good with it. I'm good with it, man. Because when I see that, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And, and, he, and he, I believe the, 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 the bridge to gap, the bridge, and like Pastor Marcel talked about that gap that widens, I believe the bridge over is when we lay a foundation of honor. When it starts with us first, then honor just spills out in our lives and it passes down to the next generation. They asked Brian Houston, who is the, the 
president of the founder of Hillsong, and they asked him, how do you create that type of a culture, man? That culture of Hillsong, how do you get that? What do you do? And he's always giving interviews, and he said this, what I thought was so profound. He said, listen, before you create a culture of honor or create a culture like this, you have to be the culture. You can't create what's not in your heart. If it's not in your heart, then it's not gonna happen. You can only implement and pass down and impart to others what's first in your heart. So in the same way to bridge the gap to the next generation, honor has to be in us first. Come on, man, if you don't respect those in leadership and those in authority, I can promise you, your kids won't either. I, I remember years when I was a youth pastor in Fresh Fire, and there'd be parents that would come to me and say, hey, listen, can you talk to my kid? Uh, I, like, what's the problem? He's just out of line or she's out of line and, you know, her language or his language and the way they're, you know, the way they talk to me. And, and then these, these are the same people that the husband and wife are constantly cussing each other out. And I'm, I'm thinking going, it, it's got to start in you first. The, the, the culture of honor has to start in you first. Because you create the culture of who you are. You can only reproduce who you are. If the DNA of your life is honor, you will reproduce honor. And then by doing so, what you do, what you believe, it, it, it reflects your values, which inspires what you do. How many believe and agree with me that the kingdom of God was run differently from Saul and David? You know, what's interesting about that is David let out in faith. He let out, he was a man that led with honor and encouraged and inspiration. Saul led by fear. That was his whole way of, of running the kingdom. And his inauguration service, when they're announcing him as king over Israel, he was hiding behind the, the, the sound equipment. Read it for yourself. They're like, hey, you know, they're doing the whole song, like the, the first king of Israel. And they're looking, going, where's he at? He was hiding in the back. They had to bring them, drag them out. You know you're in trouble, man, when your king is afraid to stand up in front of the people. On his first military campaign, now listen to this, where David was such an inspiration that people just wanted to follow David. People wanted to get behind David. In, in Saul's first military campaign, when he went to war, you know what he did to his guys? He basically told his men, if you don't fight for me, I'm going to kill your families. <laughs> Read it for yourself. Because what's in your heart will inspire the culture you want. First Peter 3.15. Are you guys still with me? Can you give me a few more minutes? Give me a few more minutes. Look what he says here. But in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter's saying, make God, honoring God the center of your life and it will flow into the other parts of your life. And so we, we honor why? Because we know the value of values God. We honor because we know that it's generational. How we do it starts in us first. The second thing, listen, honor is cultivated through humility. How do you, how do you get honor? How do you cultivate it? We know it has to start in us. Let, let me tell you this, humility breeds honor. It breeds it because it, it's selfless. Humility says, I, I don't need to be recognized. I, I don't need the recognition. As long as it gets done, I'm good with that. We're one team anyway. Can I get an amen? We're one anyway. I don't care if you get the credit, do it. If you can preach, you preach. 
If you can teach, you do it better, you do it. It doesn't matter. We're all in the same game, the same team, working together. Humility breeds honor. Look at 1 Chronicles 22, 6 and 10, and I just read it, but I'll say, my son, I wanted to build this thing to honor the Lord, but he said, no, but I'll let your son do it. God told David, no, you can't. You will not build my temple. And you know what David's response was? Okay, okay. I wanted to, but that I can't, no problem. But Lord, you know what? Can I help? Can I help fund it? Can, can I help, you know, with, with the blueprints and putting it together? Can I, can I help, maybe not build it personally, but, but can I help those that will build it? I was like, go for it. Humility. He said, it's okay, I don't have to do it. But as long as I get behind it, I'm standing with those that are doing it. I'm showing honor, right? Come on, are you with me? Honor says, yeah, God may have given you the idea, but he may want somebody else to run with it. Are you okay with that? You okay with that? I, I heard a comment from Jensen Franklin. I thought that was so powerful. He, he was talking to Chad Veach and they were doing this interview thing and, and uh, Jensen Franklin was telling Chad, he said, listen, I, I, you know, years back, I'd have a hard time sitting with you because your church, your ministry was doing better than mine. And, and I was always intimidated or I always had a hard time with those whose ministries were doing better than mine. And I felt like there was a sense of competition. And he said, through the years though, I've, I've learned and I've grown to a place now where I'm okay with you doing better than me. It's okay. As a matter of fact, I, I prefer that you do better. You preach more. I prefer it. It's okay. God has worked on my heart. He has changed me. He says, I haven't always been that way, but I am that way now. But he said this, he says, even though, I, I, and he goes, I'm not saying that I just kind of gave up and I don't care. He goes, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I stay aggressive. I stay passionate. I, I still believe God wants to use my life, right? But I do it with humility. Stay passionate, stay aggressive, stay on the dream God's given you. Stay focused, but do it with humility, right? Come on. when we're grateful and we're thankful for all that God has done in our lives. Are you grateful what God has done in your life? Come on, are you grateful? When you're grateful and thankful, you understand that it wasn't you that has done it. It's God that has done everything. And you understand that humility says, that's okay, God, if someone else does it, as long as you get the glory. One of the ways to know if you're walking in humility is can you celebrate and rejoice for others that are being blessed? Even when you haven't received what you thought you should have gotten by now. Can you celebrate and rejoice? Oh, we all can say it, but it's in the heart. You know, you know it. Can you do it? Can, and that's an extreme form of humility, saying I am going to rejoice with others that I know they've been blessed. There's a classic story of two preachers in the same town, Charles Spurgeon and F.B. Meyer. Charles Spurgeon came along and began to speak to thousands of people while F.B. Meyer, the more established preacher, became jealous, uh, actually became jealous of Spurgeon because they would take Spurgeon's texts or his scripture texts and put it in the Monday paper. So Meyer said that he began to feel real, like this jealousy began to come over and this competition began to take over his heart. And he started feeling that, you ever felt that other feeling before? Come on. You thought you should have got it, somebody else got it. And he says this, that the Lord placed on his heart and said, start praying for Spurgeon. Start praying for him. 
So he said that as I began to pray for Spurgeon, I, my heart began to change. And he says, then I realized the more I prayed for him, the more the successes he had became my own. That I actually rejoiced to see him and doing so well. That even the blessing that God was doing in his church began to overflow into mine. Because of the culture of humility and saying it's okay. Now let me, I'll close with this. The worship team can come up now. Lastly, the how is honor must be communicated. Let me go through this real quick here. I got a few more minutes. I think we're, oh, I'm minus two. Let me go through this real quick. Minus two minutes. All right. Honor must be communicated. Uh, how many understand the importance of imparting the right thing and the right values? Right? Pastor Marshall talked about that last night, about communicating the vision, communicating the right values to the next generation. Can I just be honest? I think this generation has become so sensitive. <laughs> Come on, man. It's sent, we, we, we are in a sensitive culture now. It's just everybody's so sensitive. Everyone gets offended by everything, right? I, I, was, I was reading and in, in the, on, on the internet, it was talking about the Berkeley City Council voted to amend its municipal code to use gender-specific terms. You guys see that? Manhole now will be known as maintenance hole. Craftsmen, they will use the word craftspeople. Firemen, firefighters. And repairmen, repairers. You know what that tells me? That the Berkeley City Council has way too much time on their hands. <laughs> How about fix some of those maintenance holes, man? Spend more time doing that. But, but let me say this. We, we, we can't be afraid. Listen, we can't be afraid to have the tough conversations. We got to be willing to speak the truth. We got to do it in love, but we can't be afraid. We can't shy away from it. We can't shy away. Look at 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon's son, saying, I go the way, be strong, therefore. He says, first be a strong man. And then he says, the second thing here, he says, verse 3, and keep charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and keep his statutes, commandments, and judgments, and testimonies. Do everything the Lord's called you to do and you will prosper. Be a word. Everybody say, be a word man. Be a strong man. Be a word man. Know the word. Can I just say something here in a minute and we'll close. I am all for the hype. I love the dancing, the shouting, the lifting of the hands. I love the hype. I love the excitement. It's awesome. But can you please Know your word. <laughs> David is telling his son, listen, man, make sure you know the word. You follow the commandments. There's nothing more embarrassing for believers that don't know their Bibles. See, people are offended already. People are getting offended. Don't replace the height for the depth. Be excited for the Lord. Be, be educated in the word, right? And the last, be a promised man. And, and again, he just says, listen, God will fill his promises. And, and I just want to close with uh, this story. And then we'll play a video and then we'll, we'll let him play. There's a story of, of some students in college here in America who did a field trip to England. 
they went to the great evangelist John Wesley's home house. It was a little college, a little cottage, uh, two-story house. They got to see his library, his study area, the kitchen where he had his meals, uh, bathroom, went upstairs to the bedroom. And they noticed when they went upstairs to the bedroom that there was a rug that had some that was by his bed that had two holes in it. And they said that's where John Wesley would pray. The, the teacher said that's where John Wesley would pray every morning. And so the, the students were so fascinated by his diligence in prayer, they asked, well, what did he pray about? Well, they would pray, he would pray, God, use me to change England. God, use me to change the world. So they did all the, they did all the rest of the tour and, and, and the students got back on the bus and as they were leaving, the teacher was doing a head count and realized there was one student missing. So she said, stop the bus. And they got off the bus. The guy goes into the, back into the house. And he, as he walks into the house, he, he just felt this eerie feeling like something's not right. And, and he hears some muffling going on upstairs. So he, he walks back up the stairs and he opens the door. And as he opens the door, he sees this 18-year-old kid in the same spot where John Wesley was in the same position, prostrated with his hands up and just crying out to God. And, and he was saying, and, and the teacher looked and he kind of just kind of paused for a moment because he heard the kid saying, God, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. So the teacher gave him a moment and then he, the teacher walked up to him and he put his hand on his shoulder and gently said, come on, Billy Graham, we got to go now. Play the video. And Billy Graham died at 99 years of age. And the reason why I ended with that story in this video, but here was a guy who never made the gospel, made Christ common. To the very end, God was always, he was just as passionate for God to the very end. And because of that, look at the legacy left behind. Look at the opportunities and look at the miracles that God did through his life. And let me just say this, church, that as we go forward in our life, let us and help us, God help us, never to make the responsibility of passing on to the next generation so ordinary and common that we would maintain a high honor for God and for people, for his word, and to do the will of God. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord some praise. We can bow our heads tonight. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.